Well, we are uh, really excited tonight to have um, uh, Bill Prankard with us. And uh, I met Bill actually in October of this year. Uh, a couple of friends said, you got to meet Bill Prankard. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And then I heard he was coming to the city. And so I went to uh, a meeting in the city and I was sitting at the back and, and uh, it was small and we're just there and we're sitting and, uh, you know, I had some pain in my shoulder and I thought, you know, there's something in my shoulder. I don't know if I was at the gym. And he's like, does anyone here have pain? And I'm like, I'm not going forward. It's kind of dumb. I probably just did something dumb with my shoulder. But then my shoulder kept hurting. He's like, is there anyone else here? And so I finally like, okay, I'm going to go to the front. So I go to the front and uh, he prays over me and just really connects about Canada and about what God was doing with us. And, and then the next morning, I woke up to an email from him. And just God had put me on his heart. And we just kind of connected. And then the next day, we connected. And, and uh, I had the privilege of going in October to Lloyd Minister and traveling with him. And just really connected, loved his heart, and really was just honored to, uh, to get to know him. He, Bill and his wife Gwen are live in Ottawa and he's been in ministry for about 43 years, 44, uh, since in 1972 uh, at a church. He had an encounter with, with God, with the Holy Spirit in a, in a crazy way. And um, he's been going uh, just basically across the nation. And a lot of his ministry has been in the north. And he might tell us a little bit about that uh, with Inuit people and just all that God's doing in the Arctic. And so for years, he's been doing things in the Arctic and believing for revival in Canada. And when I heard him speak, I said, he needs to come and we need to hear what this man is carrying what God has put on us for this. So I, I really believe that we're going to catch something tonight for our nation, and I believe God's put something. And so I want to give you a give, very warm welcome tonight to Bill Prankard. I absolutely love it here. <laughs> That worship was phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I just, it seemed like, I don't know, five minutes. It just, I don't know. We don't have to stop, do we? Um, I, I believe this is a divine appointment. I believe it's a divine appointment for me. Um, I come into a place like this saying, God, I want to get more than anybody else gets. And uh, so I don't know what you're going to do tonight, but I'm going to get more than you. I want the, I want the Holy Ghost. I want fire. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I, I just, um, I, I, we were in ministry for a number of years. And then in 1972, I um, uh, went to a Catherine Kuhlman service um, and um, I got totally messed up. I just, uh, I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues, but in that meeting, I met Holy Spirit, and I realized I didn't know him. You can meet somebody, you can receive a gift from him, but the anointing that you hear about sometimes is no more, no less than relationship with Holy Spirit. And I made a decision in 1972 how many were not born at that time? <laughs> we, we, you're going to meet Stephen in a moment. He is my traveling assistant, amongst other things. And uh, um, 
we were talking, I think we were in Calgary, uh, what, two, three, three weeks ago, uh, doing a telecast with our friends Dick and Joan DeWert and some of our friends. And uh, um, I was telling them that we lived in Calgary during the Olympics, um, Winter Olympics. And, um, um, and he asked when that was, and he said, I, he said, I wasn't born then. And so that brought me back to uh, a young man that's a dear friend of both of ours. He's a worship leader, and he's in Medicine Hat at the YWAM um, Global Prayer House. And uh, Brayton was in part of our church in Ottawa for a number of years, and uh, he came to Ottawa to intern with a young lady named Fatine, and uh, then you know came with us and, and helped out in worship. And we had a media school that we launched for a season. And uh, so he was helping with the media school. And I, so Gwen and I went in to kind of share that we met in media. We met in 1964 um, in a, or 1963, it was in a, in a radio station. And uh, so, you know, I, just kidding. I said, Brayden, where were you in 1963, knowing it wasn't born? And he said... My mother wasn't born in 1963. So he wasn't with us much longer. He, um, he, God, God called him. <laughs> I mean, that's so rude, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I, 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 um, I had an encounter. And uh, when you have an encounter with him, you're transformed everything changes. And I made a decision that I would pursue Holy Spirit. I'd give the rest of my life pursuing, and I'm still on a pursuit. He's my best friend. I love him. He's, he's amazing. He's fun. He's exciting. And, um, but I'm not where I want to be, and so I'm still pursuing him. And I, I pray one of the things that happens tonight is that you're going to get just a spark of hunger, that you just want to go more. Um, you may have noticed uh, there was an addition to the worship team tonight. Um, everybody needs a token Inuit, I think. At, uh, like, <laughs> Many of you have seen Stephen Carlton in his outfit before doing the Inuit drum dance and don't even know it. One of the great things that happened in the opening ceremonies of the um, uh, Olympics in uh, Vancouver was they featured uh, First Nations, uh, our first people, the Inuit, Métis, and First Nation people. And uh, this young man, Stephen Carlton, was the young man that led that entire thing. I mean, he was the man. And um, um, so, I mean, you know, you're in the company of somebody important here. You know, just... (laughs) (laughs) And I... um, as I say, you know, Stephen, uh, and you're going to hear about it, he directs uh, a wonderful project uh, out of our ministry, Arctic Hope Project, he and his wife Becky, um, that we we're going to stop suicide in the north uh, because our God is big and there's nothing impossible for him. And so Stephen's directing that, but he also travels with me as my traveling assistant and takes care of me. He'll... He'll take me back to the hotel after the service, lock me in my room, and then <laughs> come in. Absolutely true. And then come and get me at breakfast time. And then 
that's it, and to make sure I get where I need to be and all of that. Uh, and he's just a real blessing. But I love him to do this uh, as we travel because when missionaries went to the Arctic years ago, they basically said to the people, uh, if you're going to become a Christian, you have to become like us. And you have to give up your culture. And, um, and the drums was one of them. That they were told by the missionaries, the early missionaries, you got to put those away. They're of the devil. Well, I don't believe that at all. I believe there's wonderful things in every culture. I mean, the gospel doesn't destroy culture. The gospel really perfects culture. And, and there's wonderful things in every culture. And, and as you can see, you can use the instrument, the Inuit drum, uh, as, as an act of worship, as a piece of worship, and anointed. And, um, and so we're excited about this. We're excited about what God's got for you. We believe he wants to touch you tonight. He wants to bless you tonight. He's just got so much for you. I, I, I was on a call a couple of days ago. Um, like, I don't know what day it is. Like, we put our clocks ahead two hours when we came. And when we, after the service, we have to put our clock back ahead. Okay, we put our clocks back when we came. You see, it's very confusing. It's, uh, <laughs> but I, I think we're okay. I think we end up only changing an hour, even though we actually changed two today. Why? <laughs> it's, it doesn't make any sense. And, and why do we do this every fall and spring? Well, for the farmers. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, hope they're happy. That's, that's, that's great. Um, Stephen, why don't you just come and um, uh, share a little bit. Uh, this is an amazing young man of God, and um, we're blessed to have him in our ministry. And God's using him in a great way. And, and by the way, Travis is going to be with us in the Arctic next month. Ministering, ministering to young adults on Baffin Island. Bam, bam. Well, good evening. Um, I have to say it, uh, it's incredibly encouraging to be among so many young faces uh, here tonight. The, other, uh, the last trip that Bill and I were on uh, was about three weeks ago. It was in a, a small town in, in southern Ontario called... Uh, Woodstock, Woodstock, Ontario, and um, uh, the, the church that we were we were at. <clears throat> Bill was one of the younger people in the church. Uh, I, I, I was the youngest person in this church by at least forty years, so I, it was uh, a bit of a culture shock. But uh, it's nice to be among so many young faces and and uh, louder music. Um, <laughs> No. So, so as, uh, as Bill said, uh, uh, my wife and I were, were directing the Arctic Hope Project. Uh, it's a really neat project because one of the things that we, uh, we do is, um, is it's a lot of Inuit youth leadership development. Uh, currently right now in, in Nunavut, um, <clears throat> Inuit hold the highest uh, suicide rates in the nation. And, uh, and if uh, Nunavut was to become its own country, separate from Canada we'd have the second highest uh, suicide rates in the world. 
Um, it's really quite an epi uh, epidemic, and um, uh, the, I had a reporter friend of mine in Ottawa, and he, uh, he started informing me of some of the, the suicide rates and, you know, sex abuse rates and all these different things that plague so many communities. And uh, one of the things he said is, he said, if you were to take the, um, you know, the, the rate per capita of suicide in the north and you'd apply it to a city like Toronto of uh, about 4 million people, he said, every week you would have 83 people committing suicide. Just to put it in perspective a bit. So, you know, something needs to happen, and, um, and we're really uh, thankful to God that, that we have this opportunity to do something about it. Um, we, uh, Bill, uh, Bill and I guess the, the BPEA board hired us on in, at the end of September, mid-October, uh, to do this project. And my wife and I, we spent the last few uh, months crafting the project, and... Um, uh, yeah, so we we're really quite excited about it. It's, it's a, I guess, a community development um, project where we're, the, we highlight Inuit youth who have gone through uh, some counseling, some pretty intensive counseling, um, and then uh, a lot of volunteering for the community. And then the idea really is that we want to create as many good examples uh, as possible. There are a lot of examples of people who have gone through uh, negative and, and, and traumatic events in their lives, and uh, for whatever reason just have not been able to come through it, right? They haven't found any resolve or any restoration to, uh, to those things. So um, with these young people, what we want to do is we want to get them healed or, you know, on a journey of, of healing and then, uh, and then in, the, in the community's light, doing something positive for the community so that uh, young people or old people like can see that it's possible to, to, uh, to get healed, but not only to get healed, but to contribute, right? To, to, to be a part of, of, of something that is... Uh, uh, changing the way that communities are. So I grew up in Ottawa. My, uh, my wife is actually from Spruce Grove. Uh, anybody from Spruce Grove here tonight? A few people. There we go. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Ottawa. I, I went to Pentecostal Church, um, kind of in the center town area of Ottawa. And um, I guess I really encountered the, uh, the Lord when I was 14, young guy. Uh, I just got a little tired of, of going to Sunday school and then learning about these stories about God and, and all these people who uh, had, you know, encounters or visits from God. And I said, well, if that's real, then uh, I, I might like to have that. So, uh, so God really showed up in my life and, um, and changed a lot of things. I, uh, my, my nickname in high school was, was, in fact, Jesus Boy, because I tell everybody about God and, and everybody I felt, you know, should know about God because he's such a great guy. And, and, um, uh, but then I guess when I was 16 in this uh, particular church, um, one of the one of the leaders uh, took me under his wing as uh, as a bit of a mentor, and um, uh, unfortunately, he had uh, uh, abused me sexually a number of times uh, from 16 to 18. So, as you can imagine, I mean, the the effects of that are quite awful. You know, you really go into a bit of trauma, and you go into shock emotionally, mentally. You know, and, and uh, a lot of different parts of my life started to deteriorate, and um, I, I got into drinking. I got into bit of, you know, partying, and then I, I one day realized that um, that type of lifestyle where, where you know, you, you find other things to, to band-aid, uh, sorry, you put a band-aid over, you know, whatever emotional wounds you have or, or you know, mental wounds, I, I just, I knew that that was not at all positive or good for my life. I knew that a lot of my, my family members in the North um, had gone through similar things, uh, but they never really found any healing or, or resolve, and it led to a very uh, substance abuse-filled uh, lifestyle. 
So I, I, I said to God one day, I said, look, God, I know you're real. I, I, know, I don't understand why these things happened. Um, but what I do know is that you're able to heal me. You're able to make it better. You're able to take that sting and that pain away. And so I said to God, I need a Christian counselor. I need someone that, uh, that has a relationship with you and can speak into uh, different areas of my life. And um, uh, the other thing I said to God was, I need you to fill my, my heart with, with you know, your, your love again. So, um, so in a few short months, he did. And uh, I, I was uh, at the end of it. I mean, it was about six months uh, really pursuing counseling and, and spending a lot of time with the Lord and, and doing a lot of inner healing work myself. Uh, at the end, about a six-month mark, I was at a place uh, where I, I could forgive this man. And I didn't walk up to his face and then say, hey, man, I forgive you. It was more of, a, I guess, a personal decision that I made. Um, but what I realized about forgiveness is that you're not condoning the, the actions of, you know, your, your, your uh, perpetrator. You are, I guess, giving up the, the right to feel angry and you're replacing that with, you know, God's uh, healing love. So, um, so really, it, it freed me up. I mean, I, I, uh, shortly after that, I, I was approached by a uh, First Nation Grand Chief to travel across Canada with a, a small team. Uh, and and the, the journey itself was called the Journey of Forgiveness, oddly enough. And uh, I was the Inuit Youth Contingent Representative. Um, uh, and again, right around that time, I was asked to be a part of the, uh, the opening ceremonies in the Olympics. And uh, that was really quite an awesome experience. So I guess my encouragement, long and short, is that um, when you journey with God, when you, when you partner with Him, when you, when you sit down and you say, God, how do we do life together? Right? I, I've got these things that are, might be holding me back or whatever. Um, what's your solution? And, and when you do that, God really takes you on a, on a journey. And, uh, and, and a journey that, um, uh, you know, that the enemy or... or uh, might have purpose for you to, to stop or, or to fall down or whatever the image is, that God really turns that on its head and gives you platform to, uh, to really help a lot of people who might be in a similar situation as, as you are. So, um, yeah, my encouragement is just really hold fast. It, it, it's not an easy journey and there are hard decisions to be made, but uh, it, it's really quite worth it. So, Bill, please come take this mic for me. The amazing thing about um, Arctic Hope Project is it literally is giving hope to a generation in the North that had no hope. And um, Stephen, actually the government provided the um, airfare in December for him to fly to Baffin Island to go to this community that we're doing the first project in Cape Dorset and uh, to speak to the school and uh, to give them hope and because uh, no government program can do what Jesus Christ can do and uh, so We're excited about it. Our first, we're launching um, the school next month, and it's uh, it's a ten day course 
very intensive, and they're selecting between the pastor in this community, the mayor, and the elders, and the principal. They're selecting 10 young people, young men and women, that they believe, um, you know, are the ones for this. And uh, uh, they will be accountable to each other, and Stephen is committed to five years to walk with them and to um, uh, not just to stop suicide, but to get them to dream. Um, we have a man that I, w- I wish you could meet him. His name is Tuggett Curley. He's one of my best friends in the North. He was the man that, well, he's the, he's the um, father of Nunavut, really. He got the dream that they could have their own territory. And he led the negotiations with a group of people, formed it, been in the government for years. He's now retired, and, um, and he's filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. And um, I said to him way back a few years ago when we started talking about this, I said, Tuggak, you've got to be part of this. He's, he's coming in as the leading elder of Nunavut to, um, to give these young men and women a dream again. And... Um, so it's, it's very exciting for me, uh, to ha- after working in the North for 40 plus years and being so overwhelmed with suicide, um, finally, you know, we're going to actually do something. Because I thought, well, what can we do? It's so big. And, and then God said, well, either you stop preaching what you're preaching or do something because you're preaching that I'm big and I can do anything and there's no limits. And so, let me, can I talk to you about Canada for a bit tonight? <laughs> Greatest nation in the face of the earth. No question. No question. No question. Um, and if you're here from another nation, that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. It's a great nation. I, when, when I meet Canadians that are kind of uh, grumping about Canada, I just think, you need to do some traveling. You know, you go, you go to any other part of the world, you come back, you're very thankful for Canada. We're, we're, we're having a great, and we're, Canada's being blessed right now. Uh, we've got issues, we've got challenges, but we're living in the blessing of God right now for, for a number of reasons. And I, I believe with all my heart, and it's been said tonight already, that Canada can be saved. I believe that Canada not only can be, but will be a Christian nation once again. Now, I got, I, got, I got to tell you why I believe that and why we've got the spiritual right to take it back. When, our, when the first explorers came to this nation five, six hundred years ago, the first thing they did was plant a cross from Jack uh, Cabot to... to uh, Jacques Cartier to, to Champlain, they all did the same thing. Planted a cross and said, we claim this land for Jesus Christ. I mean, it's part of our history. Just like they, you know, when you're, they're, they're going for gold, they put a stake in the ground. And they said, this, this land belongs to us. They said, this land belongs to, to God. I just, Wednesday, this week, I flew in uh, to Montreal, and as I was flying in Montreal, we went right over the city, and there on Mount Royal is a big cross, big cross. It's representing the cross that Jacques Cartier planted there, and can I tell you just a little bit about these people? These people that founded our nation had a dream. 
not that this would be a free nation, but that it'd be a nation where a nation that would be free to worship God, one true God. Um, Samuel de Champlain that came from France and, and explored most of Eastern Canada said the salvation of one soul to Jesus Christ is of far more importance of the, than the development of an entire nation. Uh, Jacques Cartier, he, they had to document everything they did. And it's documented, as he sent back to the leaders in France, that every night in Montreal, as he founded that city, he not only preached the gospel to the natives, but he had healing services. And he documents the fact they would bring the sick to him. He talks about one particular service where they carried a native chief, First Nation chief, Indian chief, carried him because he was paralyzed. He was, couldn't walk. And this is what Jacques Cartier said. You won't read this in our secular books now because they've taken it out. But this is our history. You got to know where we've come from to know why we're here. And you got to know why we're here if you know where we're going to go. You know what I'm talking about. And so Jacques Cartier said about that night, he said, it was as if Jesus Christ himself was walking through our midst, laying hands on people and healing them and healing that chief in particular. And he said, they were bringing the sick that I might lay hands on them that they might be healed. Well, we're the Dominion of Canada. And most of you, I'm sure, know this part of our history. Um... When Canada was founded as a nation uh, in, in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, and uh, the premier of New Brunswick, Samuel uh, Leonard Tilley, uh, went there on fire for God. The reason he went into politics was because he was a believer. He wanted to make a difference. On fire for God, and they couldn't decide what to call it and, um, and what the vision, the mandate would be. And so they, they stopped the meeting, and the next day they came back. And this man, who started every day as premier of New Brunswick, started every day on his face before God with the open Bible reading. He said, I was reading Psalm 78, or 72, verse 8, and it jumped out at me. He shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. He said that describes this nation and it describes our mandate. And they founded this place called the Dominion of Canada based on Psalm 72.8. I went to his grave in St. John, New Brunswick. I was preaching in a conference there about three years ago. And I said, I got to go to his grave. I, I'm not into graves. I'm not into cemeteries. But I want to go to his because there on his tombstone, the founding father of our nation, the man who came and founded this nation with a word from God. It was a prophetic word from God that he would have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There on his tombstone is his name, the, the date of his birth, date of his death. And he said, don't put, I was the father of confederation, don't put, I was premier of New Brunswick. Just put this. That's all that's written on his tombstone. His trust was in Jesus. And I had church there celebrating the fact that people have given their lives for this nation to be a Christian nation. The public school system in Eastern Canada was founded by a Methodist preacher named Egerton Ryerson. 
Ryerson Institute in Toronto is named after him. And he said this, he founded the public school system. He, the first textbook in the public school system in Canada was the Bible. The next textbook was a book he wrote on Christian morals and living. He declared in Parliament, this must be and shall be a Christian public school system. That's where we've come from. The scripture, not only the scripture, he shall have dominion from sea to sea, is engraved in stone in our parliament buildings, but on the other side of the entrance of the peace tower is the scripture from Proverbs says, without a vision, people perish. Our nation was founded with a vision, a vision that this would be a place where Jesus would be honored. It was back in the 1970s, a member of parliament said to me, you know, Bill, Canada will be destroyed because of its freedom. And I didn't understand what that meant. We've just so wanted to be free that we didn't want really to have any absolutes and everybody to be welcome as they are. And we've destroyed the very things and are destroying the very things that have made this nation what they are. It may be late, but it's not too late. It may be dark, but it's not too dark. You see, you've got to understand something. In 1972, I had this encounter with Holy Spirit in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the first Presbyterian church, and Catherine Coleman conducting the service. Holy Spirit just arrested me. On the way home, God started speaking to me. One of the first things that happened when I got back to Canada, I had a vision. I haven't had many visions in my life. I had a vision in 1972 of Canada on fire for God. You know what? You got to know why tonight is so significant for me. Because I saw it. When you see it, nobody can talk you out of it. When you see it, you can taste it, you can believe it. When you see it, you, can, you become obsessed with it. And when you see it, you know, I've got to give my life for this. You know, between 1972 and now, you know, we rode the wave of the charismatic wave. It was great. It was amazing. And then we went into the 80s. That was really awful because... The leading televangelist, Pentecostal televangelist, Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Baker, both had moral failures. We were televangelists at that time across the nation. We were Pentecostal, and it really wasn't a nice time. It was a tough time. We had lots of opportunities to do other things other places, but I couldn't get away from it because I saw it in 1972. I saw it. I mean, I could taste it. I could, and I'll tell you what I saw. I, I saw Parliament in Ottawa being stopped because the glory of God was falling in Parliament and they, they couldn't conduct business. They had to stop as people were literally shaking in their seats, some even falling out of their seats as the power of God hit Parliament. I was speaking at a conference in Calgary several years ago, and, um, and, and I described in detail what I saw, and I forgot it was being live streamed. 
And uh, after the after the meeting, I you know got my phone, turned my phone up. I had I had two texts from members of parliament said we were watching tonight. And I thought, oh, then you try to think, what did I say? What did I say? And I shouldn't have said it. And um, <laughs> in our church in Ottawa, when I was leading it, I used to once in a while talk about my family, my relatives. And, uh, and my wife would say, you shouldn't talk about them because they might be watching, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, but none of them are smart enough to be able to know how to do that. They said, but they might have friends that do and we'll tell them. Anyway, these members of parliament said, when we heard what you were saying, we got so excited because that's what we're believing with you for. That the day will come when parliament will be stopped because of the power of God. But let me tell you what else I saw. I saw out on the streets of our cities thousands of young adults, thousands of young men and women carrying the fire of God out there, not in the church, out there. Miracles happening out on the streets, out in the marketplace, out in the places of business. I saw it, an army of young adults being raised up in this nation. And when I met this young man last September here in this city, and I didn't know what resurgence was, I didn't know him, but something immediately leapt in my spirit. Because I, I God said, you'll see it. You'll see it. This isn't something that's going to happen after you die. You're going to see it. And, um, and, and when, when I met this young man and, and I saw the fire in his eyes and we started talking about Canada, I thought, this is it. This is, let me tell you, what you're doing is significant. The resurgence is significant. This is not a small thing. I mean, this is not what it will be. And let me tell you, I mean, this, in fact, can I just prophesy a little bit tonight? I'm going to, but just to be nice if you let me. <laughs> you know, because some people say, well, we're really not into that. Well, you need to get into it because it's... <laughs> It's a great thing. It's a, you, you know, uh, uh, prophetic people are, are so much fun. And it's so much fun when you get into the prophetic because every disaster is, excites you. And we, we, we have friends in, in central England, and I heard that there was an earthquake in their town. So I connected with them to see if they were okay. And they said, oh, we're so excited. Because that's, that's prophetic. I mean, if there's a flood, it's prophetic. If there's fire, it's prophetic. If there's an earthquake. So our mutual friend, John Arnott from Toronto, called me. He said, have you talked to Trevor and Sharon? Are they okay? I said, well, yeah, they, they took it as prophetic. <laughs> and, and John said, yeah, they would, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so the prophetic is amazing. And um, this is a season of prophetic. In fact, this is a season when prophecies are being fulfilled. This is the season when dreams are being realized. In fact, let me go farther. Let me tell you, the day of frustration is coming to an end. Because some of you have been saying, you've got so many promises, you've been saying, when, when? And if somebody comes to you and says, I've got a word for you, you say, well, you know, just could you 
just put it on the shelf somewhere. I've already gotten a lot of words. I'd just like to see some, you know, something happen. Well, we're living in the day. Everything is speeding up. But this month is significant. I felt this as I was praying this afternoon here in this city for you and for this ministry that this March is a month of miracles for you. This month is a month of miracles for you. That means there's going to be an outpouring. That means there's going to be an acceleration. That means there's going to be breakthrough. That means it means everything. March. This is March. Is a month of miracles. I heard it as clearly as anything. So I was going to say get ready, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's coming ready or not. I mean, when it's God's time to do things, He does things. So, so this is this is a month, and we're already into the month. What is today? It was the seventh or whatever. So, isn't this exciting? That means the next few weeks. I believe many of you are going to experience some outstanding breakthroughs and things. And, and uh, this is a season when there really is no limits and no, and no boundaries other than the limits we put on him. Because God is what he want, you need him to be. And, and let me tell you something. He loves Edmonton. He loves Edmonton. Do you believe that? You're looking at me like, <laughs> do you have to think about that? Is that a, do you want to process that for a while? Do you want to take another break? Or just <laughs> and he loves you. And, and you've got a vital part in what's about to happen. You know, what, what, what you do in this season is very important because you're part of something. You're, you're part of a body. You're part of a movement because resurgence is a movement. I, I, I mean, that's, that's obvious, I think, but it's a movement that is, is, is not going to be able to be ignored. It, it's a movement that isn't just for this city. It's a movement that isn't just for this province. It's a movement that God is going to use that is going to really shake the nation. And I don't say this lightly, and Steve will tell you, I don't, I don't do this kind of thing in most places we go. And, um, uh, but, but I'm telling you what I'm feeling. I'm telling you what I, I'm getting, and, I, and there's no question about it. There's no faith involved in this. I just know that I know that I know that, that you're part of a movement. And your part is very important. You say, well, what, you know, what can I do? You can do something. You can do something. I mean, there's lots of things to do, but partnering is something. And, you, 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 you know, we, we've got young men and women across the country that, that are partnering with our ministry monthly, and I ask them why. Why are you doing this? Because we're told, well, young adults don't partner. They don't support regular. They do projects. And that's not true. You know, but they want to make sure they're partnering with something that's is significant. And, and time and time again, I get the question, because we want to make a difference in Canada, and we believe if we help you, we can do it. We can do it. Well, if you help resurgence, you can do it. But if, if, if you get up in the morning, and your, your hand says, well, I'm not going today, because it doesn't matter, you know. Everybody's just listening to my, the mouth, so it doesn't matter about me. You're not going to fight. You're going to be handicapped. 
Or if I got out of bed this morning in Ottawa and my one leg said, you know, I'm not going to Edmonton, that'd be hard. It'd be hard for Steve to carry me. It, it would be, <laughs> and you'd be handicapped. Well, the body has been handicapped. This movement is being handicapped because many are sitting back saying, well, it doesn't matter what I... It absolutely does matter what you do or don't do. And so, you know, here we are. We can take Canada back. And I am challenged on a regular basis by Christian leaders that Canada cannot be saved. You know, they, they say you can't do that. First of all, they say, well, you know, God, they get into theology. I mean, God doesn't save a nation. He saves people. Well, well, read the Bible, first of all. And, 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 and God's going to save this, na- this nation. is going to be Christian. And, and say, but, but then, you know, people explain, well, no, no, it's multicultural and it's too late for this. Let me tell you something. Jesus said every time you pray... Every time you pray, pray that the kingdom will come and the will of God will be done here on earth in Edmonton as it is in heaven. And let me tell you something. According to what I read, heaven's a Christian place. It centers around Jesus. And Jesus said, every time you pray, pray that. Why would he ask us to do that if it was impossible? We declare with God all things are possible. And we can make a difference in this country. You see, you say, but you know, let me tell you. The the homosexual community has inspired me to no end. Inspired me to no end. Statistics Canada tell us they're a very small percentage uh, of the population. And if a very small percentage of people in our nation can get together and organize themselves in such a way and change the media and change our educational system and change our laws and change our society, then don't tell me that with the power of God on our lives and the number of believers we have across the nation that we can take Canada back. That's not really my preach tonight. In fact, I'm really not going to preach to you. You can go to church tomorrow and you can, you can get preached. I just want to talk to you tonight. I want to talk to you because I believe that you're the key. And it's your generation that is going to enter into all that my generation prophesied about. I believe you're going to do it. But I'm just serving you notice right now. You are not going in without me. Now, most of my friends are young because the people my age are either old or dead. (laughs) And seriously, I don't have a lot in common with most of them. I mean, they, they, they talk about retiring. And so I've searched the Bible and I can't find it. And I think, why would you? Why would you? And, and, you know, people refer to the river or the move of God, the Holy Spirit, they, you know, river and it's symbolic in scripture. And a friend of mine came to a meeting several years ago when, um, when I was very involved in Toronto Airport, um, which is now Catch the Fire. I apparently still hold the record for preaching there more than anybody else in 
outside the staff, I think. And um, um, I didn't mean to. I just, I, I'm an addictive personality. So I <laughs> went there once and, <laughs> and then went back and went back. And, but one of my friends came to me and said, Bill, you're not in the river, are you? And I, you know, I just think, what's the alternative here? River, desert, life, death. I said, yeah, I actually am. It's fun in the river. It's refreshing in the river. There's life in the river. And if, if some people have gone wacky, well, that's their problem. I mean, we're not, I'm not promoting that. I'm just promoting life. Life. Taka Curley said to me, Bill, you've got to go all over the north and speak life. Because most people are coming up here speaking death. They're just talking about all the problems. We need to speak life. To, I, I mean, so, so we, we can make a difference. But, but, you know, in the Bible, there was an entire generation that said, we don't want to enter in. We know what God's got there, but there's problems there. There's challenges. We, we want to go in the desert. And, die, and they died in the desert. However, there were a couple of men that said, we are not going to die in the desert with our generation because we want to be part of the chosen generation. It's nothing to do with age. It's something to do with a decision. And at 85, Caleb said, here I am. And he said, God's kept me and I'm coming in. And I'm going to take the mountain. We're in this together. And I'm so, I'm so excited about the relationship that I have with Travis and, and young men and women across this nation. I need them in my life. I believe they need me, but I need them. Desperately need them. And I need young men of God like Stephen who, who is carrying the way. And... Um, you know, he's going to the Arctic on his own at times and doing great things for God. And it's just, it's, just, it's just so, so good. But we've got to create a new normal in the church. God help us. My generation has created a culture in the church where most people believe it's normal to be sick. It's normal to be in debt. It's normal to have your families ripped apart. It's normal to be kicked around. And let me tell you, we need to create a new normal. There's a real push these days to get the church into this century. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about whether it's the way people dress or the way, the, the, you know, the music or whatever. But I, I want to lead a push to get the church back to the first century. It's got nothing to do with music, got nothing to do with the way people dress. But let me tell you why we have to have the first century again. Because what was normal in the first century would be considered extremely radical now. It's interesting that right now there are young people across their nation trying to get to Turkey so they can get into Syria to give, literally give their lives 
for extreme radical Muslim people. I believe there's something in us that wants to make a difference, that wants to be part of a cause. And so the leaders of the movement in the Middle East are actively recruiting and being very successful. I was told just a couple of weeks ago there are many military people from the United States that are deserting and joining ISIS with no pay, no promise of food, knowing that they will die, but dying for a cause, dying for a challenge. I believe the Holy Ghost is recruiting tonight. And he's looking for people that will not be afraid to be branded as extreme or radical. Because what was normal in the early church in the book of Acts is considered weird now. But let me tell you why we need it. I mean, John the Baptist prophesied that the day would come when ordinary people would be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And they would not know what that meant other than they would understand to be baptized means to be immersed. It means to be overwhelmed. It means to be overcome. And 120 people in an upper room over 2,000 years ago were overwhelmed and overcome with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And they totally lost it. And, and to, to the, you know, untrained eye. They looked like they were drunk. They were overwhelmed. They were overcome because they were in the presence of a mighty God and literally began burning with fire. But let me tell you why we have to see it again. When that happened, immediately 3,000 people gathered on the street And said, we want this. We want this. If Edmonton's going to be saved, it's going to take a group of people saying we want to be overwhelmed and overcome and immersed with the fire of God. We want Holy Spirit all the way. We want him to take over our lives. Let me tell you what was normal. When they were walking out on the street, when they met a man who was lame, he'd never walked, he was crippled. They pulled him up. And they didn't have to drag him around pretending that he was receiving something. The man immediately began to leap and jump and run. And a crowd gathered and said, you need to tell us about this thing. Let me tell you what was normal. A man named Philip was sent up to Samaria. Samaria was an ungodly place. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. But he did exactly the same thing there. He was carrying the fire of God. And if you're carrying the fire, it's going to spread. You know, they got rid of him in Jerusalem because everywhere he went, things happened. He was serving tables and people were getting healed. And they said, that we got to stop this. We'll send him to Samaria. You can't stop Holy Ghost working through somebody. This man was a carrier. I believe that you're going to be a carrier tonight of the fresh, genuine power of God 
This is not to do with a denomination. It's something to do with the person of Holy Spirit. This is his hour. When the enemy comes in as a flood, God raises up a standard by his spirit. This is Holy Spirit's hour. I believe he's going to come upon you. I believe he, he's going to, you're going to have an, an encounter with him. And it's going to begin a new lifestyle for you. Where you're going to do what I'm doing. Pursue him every, every day. Absolutely every day. So he just did it. He Out in the streets, he just preached Jesus. Now let me tell you something. You might say, well, you know, it couldn't happen in Edmonton. The government in Samaria was as corrupt as could be. The people were as ungodly as could be. The practices of sin was rampant. I mean, it was terrible. And the Bible says the entire city was filled with joy as an entire city was rocked by the power of God because one man carried the fire of God to this ungodly dark place and they believed his message because of the miracles. They saw evidence. If you go to a court of law as a a witness... And you give your testimony. The judge will say, the lawyer will say, somebody will say, what evidence do you have? What evidence do you have? And if you say, well, I don't have any evidence, I just believe my story, they'll throw you out of court. Jesus said, you're going to go into all the world after Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You cannot have a credible witness without evidence. And we, the church, will sing it, we'll say it. Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. And the people out there think and they say, really? Well, if he's the same today, then why aren't the same things happening? Stick around. God's raising up a radical group of people. Who are simply enough. Why, why is it that miracles are happening to the extent they are in some of you know, Asia and, and some third world countries? Because they just believe. They believe God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. God's raising up a people in Canada. Because let me tell you, if God could do it in a city in Samaria, he can do it in Edmonton. You find anything God's doing anywhere in the world, that's what he can and wants to do here. There's only one God, and he's got the same purpose for every place. He's just waiting for people to rise up. Apostle Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy. He said, Timothy, don't let anybody despise the fact that you're young. Because Timothy is being overwhelmed by the sin in the older generation. And how corrupt they'd become. How ungodly they'd become within the church. And he said, why don't you be an example of what a believer is? Isn't that a great idea? Why don't you be an example? It's so easy to say, well, they're doing this and they're doing that. Why don't you be an example of what a believer really is? In a day when people are trying to find, and my generation has done it so well, they try to see how close they can come living to the world and living like the devil without falling into hell. 
Why don't you see how close you can come to Jesus and how, how, how close you can come to living like he wants you to live the other way and be an example. Why don't you be a carrier of the fire of God? I believe with all my heart that when the, in the church that's accepted this is normal, that nothing ever happens anymore, there's about to be an outbreak of the supernatural signs and wonders. And some people are so nervous of that. Let me tell you, if it's genuine Holy Spirit, you don't have to be nervous. It'll attract the unsaved by the thousands. Every person in this city is craving the supernatural. And they haven't found it in the church yet, but they're going to. And you're going to take the church to where they are, and they're going to see the supernatural acting just in a normal did I call you normal (laughs) okay and just a regular person who's walking just naturally in supernatural anointing there's two things missing in the church today passion and vision I mean, we've gone one or two ways for the most part. There's exceptions, thank God, but we've gone one or two ways. One is church is the most boring place that you could find. And and, and people don't relate to them. They're only talking about what happened 2,000 years ago. And and that's important, but let me tell you, when somebody walks into a church and they're filled with cancer, you know, while they might appreciate some history, they, 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 they need to know that there's somebody in the house today that is alive and well. And, and, and can change everything in their life. When a couple comes in and they're ready to sign the divorce papers, they want they want to meet somebody that's alive and can help them now. I mean, we have to know where we've come from, but but there's a reason we're here. There's a reason we're here as a church, and there's a reason we're here as a nation. We're driven with purpose and vision. And if Jesus is going to have dominion in our nation, guess what? It's not going to be a sovereign act. Not going to come from up there, down there. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. If Jesus is going to have dominion, you are going to take dominion. I'm getting ready to go back this summer to Israel. This will be my 37th visit. I didn't mean it. I have an addictive personality. (laughs) I do, I do. And I learned that a long time ago. And so that's the reason I stay really far away from a lot of stuff. You know, I meet meet Christians that say, well, you know, I, I I can drink a little wine. I've never tried it because I just know my personality. I, would, I wouldn't be happy with a little wine. I'd want the barrel. Like I, I would, go, I'll prophesy, you touch wine, Bill, and you'll be an alcoholic. I mean, you know, so I, I know for me, this is me, that, that I, I have an addictive personality. So I just decided I'll get addicted to the, the new wine get addicted. It's, it's fun because, because you see, the other doesn't really appeal to me anyway. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing fine without it. I've got a great life. I'm having fun. And, and uh, I don't see what the fun is 
of going out spending a lot of money on what you didn't don't remember the next morning and then you're you know puking your guts out the next morning that just doesn't sound like fun to me i i just the, with the new wine you feel good the next morning the morning after is better than the night before so I, 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 I just so I went to Israel once back in the 1970s, and um, I got homesick when I left. So I went back, and then I went back, and I went back. In the last few years, I go on a kind of a personal pilgrimage, and I hike, and I climb some of the mountains, and I spend some time where Jesus did, and I take one or two guys with me, and uh, it, it's it's amazing. One of my favorite places I go. It's um, it's up in the northern part of Israel. Uh, I've got several favorite places, but um, this is one of them. Um, it's where Jesus took his group of guys, and, and it was quite a walk from Galilee where they were, but he took them there to say, who, who are people saying I am? And that's where he declared, the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, you've got to understand why Jesus couldn't do that on the Sea of Galilee. He went up there to Caesarea Philippi because the Jewish people called that place the gates of hell. Hewn out of the large rock there is the blackened area where they sacrificed humans. It was demonic worship at its height in Jesus' day, and no Jew would go near there. And Jesus marches right in and stands right beside this hellhole where you could smell the stench of burning flesh and probably hear the cries and raises his voice and says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I will build my church. And that's exciting. And so we sit back and say, well, you know, I know what's happening, but he's going to build his church. The gates of hell aren't prevailing. The gates of hell are prevailing right now. The gates of hell are prevailing in our land. And, you know, I don't want to be offensive, but I'll mention the word abortion, and I'll mention the word euthanasia. And at my age, I'm totally against euthanasia, by the way. I keep telling my wife, keep moving, honey. We have these people driving by our house looking. Are they? Are they? <laughs> Preacher friend of mine said, they're watching you, you know. Because <laughs> we've lost the value of life. We've lost the value of life. And, and, and so, you, you know, say what you want. You say the gates of hell won't prevail. Jesus said they But they are prevailing. Because he didn't stop there. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, and I give you the keys. When you've got the keys, you're in charge. You're in charge. It was in that place you referred to with the more mature people uh, a few weeks ago. I was ready to leave. I'm heading for the door, and you're talking to somebody, some guys, and, and, uh, and he said, I, I, I need to go, you know, and because Bill's leaving. And they said something about, well, where is he going to go? You've got the keys. And it's absolutely true. It's 40 below outside, so I'm not going to stand outside. When you've got the keys, you're in charge. 
So you can sit all you want and say, oh, God, do something. But God right now is saying, why don't you do something? And I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done. If you're redeemed now, if you're washed in the blood, if you're a child of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've got the authority. And the Bible, Jesus said, whatever you bind is bound, whatever you loose is loose and so if there's bad things happening in this city somebody's not doing a very good job binding somebody's not doing a very job loosing he would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah if there'd been ten righteous people and he couldn't find them the Bible says in Proverbs is by the blessing of the righteous a city is exalted Don't you dare say, well, we can't do anything. You need to start looking for ways to bless this city, to bless your mayor, to bless the leadership. And you know, we're meeting them. There's more and more Holy Ghost, on fire for God, people getting into office in mayors and city council across the nation. It's like God's positioning people. And we need to pray for them and support them and encourage them because uh, it's a call of God on their life. They're going to turn this thing around. But you've got the keys. Thank you. So you and I have to do something. We can change this nation. We can make a difference. Let me tell you, if you stand up, tomorrow morning I'm going to be preaching out at um, uh, Stony... Sony Plain, on the spirit of intimidation, they're going to break that, but we'll break it tonight too. Second Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gifts that's within you. We're going to do some stirring up tonight. There's some stuff in you that needs to be stirred up. I'm here to try to agitate you a little bit, stir you up a little bit in the most holy faith. And see you become everything God's got. What a destiny. I see it in your eyes. I saw it when you were worshiping. What a destiny in this place. This house is filled with destiny. This house is filled with people with dreams. And and some of you, you believe the dreams have died. You believe the prophecies have gone. Let me tell you something. They're not dead. And tonight they're going to rise up. Things you haven't thought about in years. And it's not too late. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. It's not too late. You can do what God tells you to do. People are looking for a cause. What a cause to change the nation for the glory of God. To stop suicide in the north for the glory of God. The government has spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And every program we've seen, and we've seen their papers at the end, they record no results. No results. We asked them to fund our project. And we were just, was it last week? We were just rejected. Even though all of the leaders, the members of parliament up there, everybody says this is, this is the answer. They can't fund it because it's Christian. And um, if it's not Christian, it won't work. It won't work. Because, you see, unless you have an encounter with God, you're not going to be transformed. So you can't change the culture. 
You can have a nice service, you can have a nice song, you can have a nice preach, but if you don't have an encounter with God, you're going to go out the same as you came. And it's transformed people that transform places. We are where we are in Canada with abortion being one of three nations that have no laws. Mainland China, North Korea, and Canada have no laws. Because the Supreme Court did what they did with euthanasia. They struck down the laws of abortion and said to Parliament, come up with a new law, and they never did. And they won't. And so we're at, we're, we are where we are today because of one man whose name was Morgenthaler who believed in the cause so much that he was willing to go to jail. Willing to go to jail. And he did. On different occasions. He went to jail. He didn't care. Pay any price. He gave his life to see this country have no laws. It's going to cost somebody somebody. It's going to cost somebody something. Somebody's got to pay a price. I mean, the media said a few years ago, after two airplanes hit the the towers in, in New York, the world has changed forever. I mean, every time we flew out this morning, every time you fly, you go through security and it's just become normal now. It's, it's, it's crazy. It was an early morning flight a few weeks ago. I was there, and the lady in front of me, they said, take your jacket off, and then they said, take your belt off, then take your bracelet off, and then I forget what else. She looked at me. She said, why do we bother getting dressed? <laughs> I mean, take your shoes off. They changed the world because they're willing to give their life. And the cry comes from the heart of a a young shepherd boy in scripture. And he was facing a giant. Is there not a cause? We've got a great cause. We've got a great cause to see our family saved. To see our fellow workers saved. To see our schools saved. To see our business places saved. To see our neighbors saved. Every time we moved into an area, we knew that our neighbors were our church, that we were the pastor. We never went to them and said, we're the pastor of this street. We just started blessing them, just started praying for them, just started looking for ways that we could do nice things for them. And, and, um, and then, they want, they, then they want to talk to you. Then they'll come to you for prayer. I mean... We've got a cause, folks. And it's the greatest cause that could ever be. I, one of my favorite chapters of Scripture, and I'll, I'll wrap this up real quick because I want to pray for you tonight, is, is First Chronicles chapter 12. And it's, it's a part of history when David is hiding in caves in a fugitive. That's one of my other favorite places in Israel. Very few people go there groups can't go there because it's it's really some pretty severe climbing to get back up into the caves down by the Dead Sea where David and his men held up. But once you get there, oh man, it's it, it's it's the best. You get in there and you put worship on and you 
spend a day up there and it's got waterfalls and the, the ponds where you swim in and you worship and his picture David and his men up there nobody could get at him it's just an amazing place and First Chronicles chapter 12 is basically one of those those chapters that a lot of people just skip over because it's full of names names that we can't pronounce and names that you think well, who would call their kid that you know, I come from the old days, obviously. You know, I have two brothers. One is eight years older than me. One is eight years younger than me. We're not sure why, but anyway, there's a, quite a bit in between. My older brother is John. I'm Bill. And my young brother is Bob. <laughs> names, real names. Okay. Now, my, my mom back in the 1970s, went to be with Jesus. And um, after a few years, my dad remarried. He married a lady whose husband had died. And they had four boys. And their boys' names, this is true, their boys' names was John, Bill, Bob, and Paul. (laughs) Because... There was four. And so it was always really confusing because it was your Bill and my Bill and your Bob and my Bob. And, but, but First Chronicles 12 is like, it's these crazy names. And, and so most people don't even read it. But it said, these were the men that came from the north, south, east, and west And said, David, we are determined to put you on the throne. Let me tell you what was happening in Israel. Most people knew that David was king. And most people were praying that God would put him on the throne. And some people were singing about it. And some people were prophesying. But there's got to be somebody that comes and does something about it. And David had this greeting, a crazy greeting. He said, are you going to betray me? Are you going to help me? And I think, well, if they're going to betray you, they're not going to say they're going to betray you. They'll lie. But they didn't. They said, no, 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 we're here. We're here. We'll give our lives if needs be to put you back on the throne. And it talks about these men. And and, and in between all these names, it talks about them. It said that they they could shoot an arrow or or a sword. They they could shoot it with the left hand or right. In other words, they were totally flexible. If the enemy cut off their right hand, they'd shoot with the left hand. Because the people that change history are unstoppable. It says these are the men that crossed the Jordan at flood stage. Now, the Jordan River is a pathetic little river. It's really small and it looks dirty, um, except at flood stage. When they get the torrents of rain and the water coming down from the mountains and it just, the banks overflow and it becomes quite a river. And in the day, people would say, well, you you can't cross the Jordan at flood stage, you have to wait. But the kind of people that change history said, we're not waiting for anything. They get excited about flood stage. They get excited when people tell them it's impossible. They get excited when somebody says, you can't do that. 
Because they know that the God in them is bigger than anybody else and anything else. And then it, it said, there were some of them that were from the sons of Issachar. And they understood the times. And they knew what the nation needed to be doing. God help us to have young men and women in this place and in this city and province and country that understand the times. There's an urgency right now. If we're going to see Canada saved, we've got to see it now. I believe we're being weighed in the balance. And we don't have a lot of time. Albert Einstein said the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who watch and do nothing. And my hero, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, amazing man who gave his life the Second World War because he wouldn't bow as a Lutheran priest. He said, silence in the face of evil is evil. You know, people say, my generation says, just go mind my own business. Don't get involved. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Canada needs to see Jesus. And Canada needs to see Jesus through you. They're not, they're not going to watch Christian television. They're not going to read their Bible. They're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. I want to pray the fire of God comes on you tonight. I want to pray that you will get that what they got in the upper room. Let me tell you, it might have, it might have seemed weird. It might have seemed radical. It might have seemed extreme. But, but, but this is the testimony. This is why we've got to get back to the first century. Because they turned the world upside down. Canada needs to be turned right side up. And it's going to take people carrying the power of God in order to do that. Let me just tell you, give you a commercial real quick. We've got the only thing we put out tonight. We didn't put our resources out. The only thing we put out was this. It's got a lot of Canada's Christian history on it. I just sat down and just gave you a lot from every province, from every part of the country. I highly recommend you get it because you've got to understand we have got the most Christian history of any nation in the world. Bar none. Bar none. And, and, and so... I highly recommend that. Would you would you stand with me tonight, please? I I came tonight really with this desire not really to preach, but just to share my heart with you, and just to give you some of the stuffs on my heart. And I thought as I was sitting here during worship and standing during worship, I thought I wish I wish we had more time. I wish we had more days. I. I there's so many things I'd like to, to share with you, but, but, but tonight's a night when you and I can just be changed. I, 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 my prayer tonight was, God, I don't, I don't want to leave here the way I came in. I don't want to leave in the same condition that I came in. That would be really bad. What's the point? What's the point? And so I, I seriously have come so hungry for God. And I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. He's so real. He's so wonderful. He cares about you. And you've got to know, you know, the greatest blockage of people receiving anything from God is they don't believe God loves them. 
I mean, people, many people, they just don't get healed because they don't believe they deserve it. It's gotten, we deserve hell. We don't get what we deserve. This is love and grace, but they don't believe God loves them. I was talking to a friend of mine in England three days ago, and um, she's John Arnott's daughter, and we're like brother and sister. And um, we hadn't talked for a long time, and she ended the conversation by saying, Bill, I like you. She came in the midst of the revival in Toronto after a meeting, and she came up to me. She said, you know, you know, I love you, but she said, I like you. That made me feel so good. Because I just had several people say, I love you in the Lord. <laughs> and I think, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? Like, like, I used to get the feeling, you don't really like me, but you have to love me in the Lord. And if, you know, I, but she said, I like you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I like that. Well, I want you to know, Holy Spirit saying tonight, he knows you. He knows you. And he not only loves you, but he likes you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I think that's so neat. He loves you and likes you. He wants to put his arms around you. He wants to set you on fire. Many of you are carrying the fire of God, and so I just, I would like to pour some gasoline on you. (laughs) And some of you, you say, well, it's gone out. It doesn't really go out. All you need is the wind to blow again, and it just explodes. But tonight, I've been so aware that this is a divine appointment for you as well as for me. And, you know, we don't have much room here, but I think it's significant that you do something, even if it's move two steps or whatever. So I just want to pray a prayer and let Holy Spirit do what he does best. You don't need me to lay hands on you. He wants to lay his hands on you. In the upper room, nobody laid hands on anybody, but they all, they all got the fire. And it turned the world upside down. I believe this is the answer. As old-fashioned as it might seem, I believe it's the answer for Edmonton, for Alberta, for Canada, for the world. Father, for what you're about to do, I give you praise. I give you praise. If you're in this place tonight and you say, I really want my life to make a difference... If you're here tonight and you say, I really want the fresh fire of God in my life. I want a fresh encounter with Holy Spirit. No matter where you're at or anything at this point. I'm not talking doctrine here. I'm talking an experience with a person of Holy Spirit. If you're in this place and this is what you want, then I want you to get as close to the front right now as you can. And as you come, just slip your hands up. Just slip your hands up. And start receiving. And start receiving right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. My God.
It's like a cloud of the glory of God that's in this place tonight. And it's okay if you can't get right to the front, if you're in the aisles or wherever you are. If you just, you, you've indicated to God, you've indicated to God that you're hungry. I, I, I never get concerned about people that are, are hungry or thirsty. I get concerned about people that are satisfied. I want you to know I'm thankful tonight for all that God's done, but I'm not satisfied. The more you get, the more you want. The closer you get, the closer you want to get. Holy Spirit, come right now. Just come right now. We want what John prophesied. That we will be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. If you want him to come, you invite him, he will come. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be profound. You just say, Holy Spirit, come. He comes. Just invite him into your life. For he gives you tonight that fresh fire, that fresh anointing, that fresh unction. It shall be, even as the Lord has shown you, it shall be. This night, while the enemy has tried to distract you and discourage you, look not to the left or the right and do not look behind you. Look up and know your redemption draweth nigh. Know that you are alive in this end time hour. That you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. That it is not insignificant. It is vitally important. Holy Spirit, breathe right now. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, just start receiving, receive. People are getting healed right now. Healing is flowing right now. Disease is going, pain is going, limitations going. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fire is beginning to burn. Some of you literally are feeling fire in your bones. This is not just some psychosomatic thing, this is real. I wake up in the morning, I feel fire burning in my bones. I go to bed and I feel fire in my bones. It's real. You can't not do it. You can't stop. You can't. You've got to go. You've got to do. You've got to be. Receive. Receive. In the balcony, receive. In the aisles, receive. The Bible encourages us to pray one for another. Because of the crowded situation, what I'm asking you to do, just take your hands, place gently, gently on the shoulder of the persons beside you, in front of you, behind you, wherever, and just start praying for them in the Holy Ghost. Pray for one another. Pray for the fire of God. Let it spring forth. Stir it up. You're stirring it up. You're stirring it up. You're stirring it up. <laughs> You're stirring it up. 
Thank you, thank you, thank 